Section five of A Far Country by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book one, chapter five. It was true to my father's character that he should have waited until the day after graduation to discuss my future, if discussion be the proper word. The next evening at supper he informed me that he wished to talk to me in the sitting-room, whither I followed him with a sinking heart. He seated himself at his desk, and sat for a moment gazing at me with a curious and benumbing expression, and then the blow fell. "'Hugh, I have spoken to your cousin Robert Breck about you, and he has kindly consented to give you a trial.' to give me a trial sir i exclaimed to employ you at a small but reasonable salary i could find no words to express my dismay my dreams had come to this that i was to be made a clerk in a grocery store the fact that it was a wholesale grocery store was little consolation but father i faltered i don't want to go into business Ah. The sharpness of the exclamation might have betrayed to me the pain in which he was, but he recovered himself instantly, and I could see nothing but an inexorable justice closing in on me mechanically, a blind justice in its inability to read my soul. The time to have decided that, he declared, was some years ago, my son. I have given you the best schooling a boy can have, and you have not shown the least appreciation of your advantages. I do not enjoy saying this, Hugh, but in spite of all my efforts, and of those of your mother, you have remained undeveloped and irresponsible. My hope, as you know, was to have made you a professional man, a lawyer, and to take you into my office." my father and grandfather were professional men before me but you are wholly lacking in ambition and i had burned with it all my life i have ambition i cried the tears forcing themselves to my eyes ambition for what my son i hesitated how could i tell him that my longings to do something to be somebody in the world were never more keen than at that moment matthew arnold had not then written his definition of god as the stream of tendency by which we fulfil the laws of our being and my father at any rate would not have acquiesced in the definition dimly but passionately i felt then as i had always felt that i had a mission to perform a service to do which ultimately would be revealed to me but the hopelessness of explaining this took on now the proportions of a tragedy and i could only gaze at him what kind of ambition hugh he repeated sadly i i have sometimes thought i could write sir if i had a chance i like it better than anything else i i've tried it and if I could only go to college. Literature! There was in his voice a scandalized tone. Why not, father? I asked, weakly. And now it was he who, for the first time, seemed to be at a loss to express himself. He turned in his chair, and with a sweep of the hand indicated the long rows of musty-backed volumes. Here, 
he said you have had at your disposal as well assorted a small library as the city contains and you have not availed yourself of it yet you talk to me of literature as a profession i am afraid hugh that this is merely another indication of your desire to shun hard work and i must tell you frankly that i fail to see in you the least qualification for such a career you have not even inherited my taste for books i venture to say for instance that you have never even read a paragraph of plutarch and yet when i was your age i was completely familiar with the lives you will not read scott or dickens the impeachment was not to be denied for the classics were hateful to me naturally i was afraid to make such a damning admission my father had succeeded in presenting my ambition as the height of absurdity and presumption and with something of the despair of a shipwrecked mariner my eyes rested on the green expanses of those bookbacks bones standard library nor did it occur to him or to me that one might be great in literature without having read so much as a gritty page of them he finished his argument by reminding me that worthless persons sought to enter the arts in the search for a fool's paradise and in order to satisfy a reprehensible craving for notoriety the implication was clear that imaginative production could not be classed as hard work and he assured me that literature was a profession in which no one could afford to be second class a longfellow a harriet beecher stowe or nothing this was a practical age and a practical country we had indeed produced irvings and hawthorns but the future of american letters was to say the least problematical we were a utilitarian people who would never create a great literature and he reminded me that the days of the romantic and the picturesque had passed he gathered that i desired to be a novelist well novelists with certain exceptions were fantastic fellows who blew iridescent soap bubbles and who had no morals in the face of such a philosophy as his i was mute the world appeared a dreary place of musty offices and smoky steelworks of coal dust of labour without a spark of inspiration and that other the world of my dreams simply did not exist incidentally my father had condemned cousin robert's wholesale grocery business as a refuge of the lesser of intellect that could not achieve the professions an inference not calculated to stir my ambition and liking for it at the start i began my business career on the following monday morning at breakfast held earlier than usual on my account my mother's sympathy was the more eloquent for being unspoken while my father wore an air of unwonted cheerfulness charging me when i departed to give his kindest remembrances to my cousin robert breck with a sense of martyrdom somehow deepened by this attitude of my parents i boarded a horse-car and went downtown early though it was the narrow streets of the wholesale district reverberated with the rattle of trucks and echoed with the shouts of drivers the day promised to be scorching 
at the door of the warehouse of breck and company i was greeted by the ineffable smell of groceries in which the suggestion of parched coffee prevailed this is the sharpest remembrance of all and even to-day that odour affects me somewhat in the manner that the interior of a ship affects a person prone to sea-sickness my cousin robert in his well-worn alpaca coat was already seated at his desk behind the clouded glass partition next to the alley at the back of the store and as i entered he gazed at me over his steel-rimmed spectacles with that same disturbing look of clairvoyance i have already mentioned as one of his characteristics the grey eyes were quizzical and yet seemed to express a little commiseration well hugh you've decided to honour us have you he asked i'm much obliged for giving me the place cousin robert i replied but he had no use for that sort of politeness and he saw through me as always so you're not too tony for the grocery business eh oh no sir it was good enough for old benjamin breck he said well i'll give you a fair trial my boy and no favouritism on account of relationship any more than to willie his strong voice resounded through the store and presently my cousin willie appeared in answer to his summons the same willie who used to lead me on mischief bent through the barns and woods and fields of claremore he was barefoot no longer though freckled still grown lanky and tall he wore a coarse blue apron that fell below his knees and a pencil was stuck behind his ear get an apron for hugh said his father willie's grin grew wider i'll fit him out he said start him in the shipping department directed cousin robert and turned to his letters i was forthwith provided with an apron and introduced to the slim and anemic but cheerful johnny hedges the shipping clerk hard at work in the alley secretly i looked down on my fellow clerks as one destined for a higher mission made out of better stuff finer stuff despite my attempt to hide this sense of superiority they were swift to discover it and perhaps it is to my credit as well as theirs that they did not resent it curiously enough they seemed to acknowledge it before the week was out i had earned the nickname of beau brummel say beau johnny hedges would ask when i appeared of a morning what happened in the great world last night i had an affection for them these fellow clerks and i often wondered at their contentment with the drab lives they led at their self-congratulation for having a job at breck and companies you don't mean to say you like this kind of work i exclaimed one day to johnny hedges as we sat on barrels of forex flour looking out at the hot sunlight in the alley it ain't a question of liking it beau he rebuked me it's all very well for you to talk since your father's a millionaire a fiction so firmly embedded in their heads that no amount of denial affected it but what do you think would happen to me if i was fired i couldn't go home and take it easy you bet not i just want to shake hands with myself when i think that i've got a home and a job like this i know a feller a hard worker he was too 
who walked the pavements for three months when the culvers failed and couldn't get nothing and took to drink and the last i heard of him he was sleeping in police stations and walking the ties and his wife's a waitress at a cheap hotel don't you think it's easy to get a job i was momentarily sobered by the earnestness with which he brought home to me the relentlessness of our civilization it seemed incredible i should have learned a lesson in that store barring a few discordant days when the orders came in too fast or when we were short-handed because of sickness it was a veritable hive of happiness morning after morning clerks and porters arrived pale yet smiling and laboured with cheerfulness from eight o'clock until six and departed as cheerfully for modest homes in obscure neighbourhoods that seemed to me areas of exile they were troubled with no visions of better things when the travelling men came in from the road there was great hilarity important personages these looked up to by the city clerks jolly reckless elizabethan-like rovers who had tasted of the wine of liberty and of other wines with the ineradicable lust for the road in their blood no more routine for jimmy bowles who was king of them all i shudder to think how much of my knowledge of life i owe to this jimmy whose stories would have filled a quarto volume but could on no account have been published for a self-respecting post-office would not have allowed them to pass through the mails as it was jimmy gave them circulation enough i can still see his round face with the nose just indicated his wicked twinkling little eyes and i can hear his husky voice fall to a whisper when the boss passed through the store jimmy when visiting us always had a group around him his audacity with women amazed me for he never passed one of the lady clerks without some form of caress which they resented but invariably laughed at one day he imparted to me his code of morality he never made love to another man's wife so he assured me if he knew the man the secret of life he had discovered in laughter and by laughter he sold quantities of cousin robert's groceries mr bowles boasted of a catholic acquaintance in all the cities of his district but before venturing forth to conquer these he had learned his own city by heart my cousin robert was not aware of the fact that mr bowles showed the town to certain customers he even desired to show it to me but an epicurean strain in my nature held me back johnny hedges went with him occasionally and henry schneider the bill clerk and i listened eagerly to their experiences afterwards confiding them to tom there were times when driven by an overwhelming curiosity i ventured into certain strange streets alone shivering with cold and excitement gripped by a fascination i did not comprehend my eyes now averted now irresistibly raised toward the white streaks of light that outlined the windows of dark houses one winter evening as i was going home i encountered at the mailbox a young woman who shot at me a queer twisted smile i stood still as though stunned looking after her and when halfway across the slushy street she turned and smiled again prodigiously excited i followed her fearful that i might be seen by someone who knew me 
nor was it until she reached an unfamiliar street that i ventured to overtake her she confounded me by facing me get out she cried fiercely i halted in my tracks overwhelmed with shame but she continued to regard me by the light of the street lamp you didn't want to be seen with me on second street did you you're one of those sneaking swells the shock of this sudden onslaught was tremendous i stood frozen to the spot trembling convicted for i knew that her accusation was just i had wounded her and i had a desire to make amends i'm sorry i faltered i didn't mean to offend you and you smiled i got no farther she began to laugh and so loudly that i glanced anxiously about i would have fled but something still held me something that belied the harshness of her laugh you're just a kid she told me say you get along home and tell your mamma i sent you whereupon i departed in a state of humiliation and self-reproach i had never before known wandering about aimlessly for a long time when at length i arrived at home late for supper my mother's solicitude only served to deepen my pain she went to the kitchen herself to see if my mince pie were hot and served me with her own hands my father remained at his place at the head of the table while i tried to eat smiling indulgently at her ministrations oh a little hard work won't hurt him sarah he said when i was his age i often worked until eleven o'clock and never felt the worse for it business must be pretty good eh hugh i had never seen him in a more relaxing mood a more approving one my mother sat down beside me words seem useless to express the complicated nature of my suffering at that moment my remorse my sense of deception of hypocrisy yes and my terror i tried to talk naturally to answer my father's questions about affairs at the store while all the time my eyes rested upon the objects of the room familiar since childhood here were warmth love and safety why could i not be content with them thankful for them what was it in me that drove me from these sheltering walls out into the dark places i glanced at my father had he ever known these wild destroying desires oh if only i could have confided in him the very idea of it was preposterous such placidity as theirs would never understand the nature of my temptations and i pictured to myself their horror and despair at my revelation in imagination i beheld their figures receding while i drifted out to sea alone would the tide which was somehow within me carry me out and out in spite of all i could do give me that man that is not passion's slave and i will wear him in my heart's core i did not shirk my tasks at the store although i never got over the feeling that a fine instrument was being employed where a coarser one would have done equally well there were moments when i was almost overcome by surges of self-commiseration and of impotent anger for instance i was once driven out of a shop by an incensed german grocer whom i had asked to settle a long-standing account 
yet the days passed the daily grind absorbed my energies and when i was not collecting or tediously going over the stock in the dim recesses of the store i was running errands in the wholesale district treading the burning brick of the pavements dodging heavy trucks and drays and perspiring clerks who flew about with memorandum pads in their hands or awaiting the pleasure of bank tellers save harvey the venerable porter i was the last to leave the store in the evening and i always came away with the taste on my palate of breck and company's mail it being my final duty to lick the whole of it and deposit it in the box at the corner the gum on the envelopes tasted of winter green my cousin robert was somewhat astonished at my application we'll make a man of you yet hugh he said to me once when i had performed a commission with unexpected despatch business was his all in all and he had an undisguised contempt for higher education to send a boy to college was in his opinion to run no inconsiderable risk of ruining him what did they amount to when they came home strutting like peacocks full of fads and fancies and much too good to associate with decent hard-working citizens nevertheless when autumn came and my friends departed with eclat for the east i was desperate indeed even the contemplation of robert breck did not console me and yet here in truth was a life which might have served me as a model his store was his castle and his reputation for integrity and square dealing as wide as the city often i used to watch him with a certain envy as he stood in the doorway his hands in his pockets and greeted fellow merchant and banker with his genuine and dignified directness this man was his own master they all called him robert and they made it clear by their manner that they knew they were addressing one who fulfilled his obligations and asked no favors crusty old nathaniel durrett once declared that when you bought a bill of goods from robert breck you did not have to check up the invoice or employ a chemist here was a character to mould upon if my ambition could but have been bounded by breck and company i too might have come to stand in that doorway content with a tribute that was greater than caesar's i had been dreading the christmas holidays which were indeed to be no holidays for me and when at length they arrived they brought with them from the east certain heroes fashionably clad citizens now of a larger world than mine these former companions had become superior beings they could not help showing it and their presence destroyed the balance of things for alas i had not wholly abjured the feminine sex after all and from being a somewhat important factor in the lives of ruth hollister and other young women i suddenly became of no account new interests new rivalries and loyalties had arisen in which i had no share i must perforce busy myself with invoices of flour and coffee and canned fruits while sleigh rides and coasting and skating expeditions to blackstone lake followed one another day after day for the irony of circumstances had decreed a winter uncommonly cold 
there were evening parties too where i felt like an alien though my friends were guilty of no conscious neglect and had i been able to accept the situation simply i should not have suffered the principal event of those holidays was a play given in the old hambleton house which later became the boyne club under the direction of the lively and talented mrs watling i was invited indeed to participate but even if i had had the desire i could not have done so since the rehearsals were carried on in the daytime nancy was the leading lady i have neglected to mention that she too had been away almost continuously since our misunderstanding for the summer in the mountains a sojourn recommended for her mother's health and in the autumn she had somewhat abruptly decided to go east to boarding-school at farmington during the brief months of her absence she had marvellously acquired maturity and aplomb a worldliness of manner and a certain frivolity that seemed to put those who surrounded her on a lower plane she was only seventeen yet she seemed the woman of thirty whose role she played first there were murmurs then sustained applause i scarcely recognized her she had taken wings and soared far above me suggesting a sphere of power and luxury hitherto unimagined and beyond the scope of the world to which i belonged her triumph was genuine when the play was over she was immediately surrounded by enthusiastic admirers eager to congratulate her to dance with her i too would have gone forward but a sense of inadequacy of unimportance of an inability to cope with her held me back and from a corner i watched her sweeping around the room holding up her train and leaning on the arm of bob lansing a classmate whom ralph had brought home from harvard then it was ralph's turn that affair seemed still to be going on my feelings were a strange medley of despondency and stimulation our eyes met her partner now was ham durrett capriciously releasing him she stood before me hugh you haven't asked me to dance or even told me what you thought of the play i thought it was splendid i said lamely because she refrained from replying i was farther than ever from understanding her how was i to divine what she felt or whether any longer she felt at all here in this costume of a woman of the world with the string of pearls at her neck to give her the final touch of brilliancy was a strange new creature who baffled and silenced me we had not gone halfway across the room when she halted abruptly i'm tired she exclaimed i don't feel like dancing just now and led the way to the big rose punch bowl one of the durrett's most cherished possessions glancing up at me over the glass of lemonade i had given her she went on why haven't you been to see me since i came home i've wanted to talk to you to hear how you are getting along was she trying to make amends or reminding me in this subtle way of the cause of our quarrel what i was aware of as i looked at her was an attitude a vantage point apparently gained by contact with that mysterious outer world which thus vicariously had laid its spell on me i was tremendously struck by the thought that to achieve this attitude meant emancipation invulnerability against the aches and pains which otherwise our fellow-beings had the power to give us mastery over life 
the ability to choose calmly as from a height what were best for oneself untroubled by loves and hates untroubled by loves and hates at that very moment paradoxically i loved her madly but with a love not of the old quality a love that demanded a vantage point of its own even though she had made an advance and some elusiveness in her manner led me to doubt it i could not go to her now i must go as a conqueror a conqueror in the lists she herself had chosen where the prize is power oh i'm getting along pretty well i said at any rate they don't complain of me somehow she ventured somehow it's hard to think of you as a business man I took this for a reference to the boast I had made that I would go to college. "'Business isn't so bad as it might be,' I assured her. "'I think a man ought to go away to college,' she declared in what seemed another tone. "'He makes friends, learns certain things. It gives him finish. We are very provincial here.' "'Provincial!' I did not stop to reflect how recently she must have acquired the word. It summed up precisely the self-estimate at which I had arrived. The sting went deep. Before I could think of an effective reply, Nancy was being carried off by the young man from the East, who was clearly infatuated. He was not provincial. She smiled back at me brightly over his shoulder. In that instant were fused in one resolution all the discordant elements within me of aspiration and discontent it was not so much that i would show nancy what i intended to do i would show myself and i felt a sudden elation and accession of power that enabled me momentarily to despise the puppets with whom she danced from this mood i was awakened with a start to feel a hand on my shoulder and i turned to confront her father mcillary willett a gregarious easy-going pleasure-loving gentleman who made only a pretense of business having inherited an ample fortune from his father unique among his generation in our city in that he paid some attention to fashion in his dress good living was already beginning to affect his figure his mellow voice had a way of breaking an octave don't worry my boy he said you stick to business these college fellows are cocks of the walk just now but some day you'll be able to snap your fingers at all of em the next day was dark overcast smoky damp the soft unwholesome dampness that follows a spell of hard frost i spent the morning and afternoon on the gloomy third floor of breck and company making a list of the stock i remember the place as though i had just stepped out of it the freight elevator at the back the dusty iron columns the continuous piles of cases and bags and barrels with narrow aisles between them the dirty windows spotted and soot-streaked that looked down on second street i was determined now to escape from all this and i had my plan in mind 
no sooner had i swallowed my supper that evening than i set out at a swift pace for a modest residence district ten blocks away coming to a little frame house set back in a yard one of those houses in which the ringing of the front door-bell produces the greatest commotion children's voices were excitedly raised and then hushed after a brief silence the door was opened by a pleasant-faced brown-bearded man who stood staring at me in surprise his hair was rumpled he wore an old house-coat with a hole in the elbow and with one finger he kept his place in the book which he held in his hand hugh parrot he exclaimed he ushered me into a little parlour lighted by two lamps that bore every evidence of having been recently vacated its features somehow bespoke a struggle for existence as though its occupants had worried much and loved much it was a room best described by the word home home made more precious by a certain precariousness toys and school-books strewed the floor a sewing-bag and apron lay across the sofa and in one corner was a roll-topped desk of varnished oak the seats of the chairs were comfortably depressed so this was where mr wood lived mr wood instructor in latin and greek at densmore academy it was now borne in on me for the first time that he did live and have his ties like any other human being instead of just appearing magically from nowhere on a platform in a chalky room at nine every morning to vanish again in the afternoon i had formerly stood in awe of his presence but now i was suddenly possessed by an embarrassment and shall i say it by a commiseration bordering on contempt for a man who would consent to live thus for the sake of being a school-teacher how strange that civilization should set such a high value on education and treat its functionaries with such neglect mr wood's surprise at seeing me was genuine for i had never shown a particular interest in him nor in the knowledge which he strove to impart i thought you had forgotten me hugh he said and added whimsically most boys do when they graduate i felt the reproach which made it the more difficult for me to state my errand i knew you sometimes took pupils in the evening mr wood pupils yes he replied still eyeing me suddenly his eyes twinkled he had indeed no reason to suspect me of thirsting for learning but i was under the impression that you had gone into business hugh the fact is sir i explained somewhat painfully that i am not satisfied with business i feel as if i ought to know more and i came to see if you would give me lessons about three nights a week because i want to take the harvard examinations next summer thus i made it appear and so persuaded myself that my ambition had been prompted by a craving for knowledge as soon as he could recover himself he reminded me that he had on many occasions declared i had a brain your father must be very happy over this decision of yours he said that was the point i told him it was to be a surprise for my father i was to take the examinations first and inform him afterwards 
to my intense relief mr wood found the scheme wholly laudable and entered into it with zest he produced examinations of preceding years from a pigeonhole in his desk and inside of half an hour the arrangement was made the price of the lessons settled they were well within my salary which recently had been raised when i went downtown or collecting bills for breck and company i took a textbook along with me in the street cars now at last i had behind my studies a driving force algebra latin greek and history became worth while means to an end i astonished mr wood and sometimes he would tilt back his chair take off his spectacles and pull his beard why in the name of all the sages he would demand couldn't you have done this well at school you might have led your class instead of ralph hamilton i grew very fond of mr wood and even of his thin little wife who occasionally flitted into the room after we had finished i fully intended to keep up with them in after life but i never did i forgot them completely my parents were not wholly easy in their minds concerning me they were bewildered by the new aspect i presented for my lately acquired motive was strong enough to compel me to restrict myself socially and the evenings i spent at home were given to study usually in my own room once i was caught with a latin grammar i was just looking over it i said my mother sighed i knew what was in her mind she had always been secretly disappointed that i had not been sent to college and presently when my father went out to attend a trustees meeting the impulse to confide in her almost overcame me i loved her with that affection which goes out to those whom we feel understand us but i was learning to restrain my feelings she looked at me wistfully i knew that she would insist on telling my father and thus possibly frustrate my plans that i was not discovered was due to a certain chaotic twist in my father's character i was working now and though not actually earning my own living he no longer felt justified in prying into my affairs when june arrived however my tutor began to show signs that his conscience was troubling him and one night he delivered his ultimatum the joke had gone far enough he implied my intentions indeed he found praiseworthy but in his opinion it was high time that my father were informed of them he was determined to call at my father's office the next morning was blue with the presage of showers blue too with the presage of fate an interminable morning my tasks had become utterly distasteful and in the afternoon so when i sat down to make out invoices i wrote automatically the names of the familiar customers my mind now exalted by hope now depressed by anxiety the result of an interview perhaps even now going on would determine whether or no i should be immediately released from a slavery i detested would mr wood persuade my father if not i was prepared to take more desperate measures remain in the grocery business i would not 
in the evening as i hurried homeward from the corner where the boyne street car had dropped me i halted suddenly in front of the peters house absorbing the scene where my childhood had been spent each of these spreading maples was an old friend and in these yards i had played and dreamed an unaccountable sadness passed over me as i walked on toward our gate i entered it gained the doorway of the house and went upstairs glancing into the sitting-room my mother sat by the window sewing she looked up at me with an ineffable expression in which i read a trace of tears hugh she exclaimed i felt very uncomfortable and stood looking down at her why didn't you tell us my son in her voice was in truth reproach yet mingled with that was another note which i think was pride what his father said i asked oh my dear he will tell you himself i i don't know he will talk to you suddenly she seized my hands and drew me down to her and then held me away gazing into my face with a passionate questioning her lips smiling her eyes wet what did she see was there a subtler relationship between our natures than i guessed did she understand by some instinctive power the riddle within me divine through love the force that was driving me on she knew not whither nor i at the sound of my father's step in the hall she released me he came in as though nothing had happened well hugh are you home he said never had i been more impressed more bewildered by his self-command than at that time save for the fact that my mother talked less than usual supper passed as though nothing had happened whether i had shaken him disappointed him or gained his reluctant approval i could not tell gradually his outward calmness turned my suspense to irritation but when at length we were alone together i gained a certain reassurance his manner was not severe he hesitated a little before beginning i must confess hugh that i scarcely know what to say about this proceeding of yours the thing that strikes me most forcibly is that you might have confided in your mother and myself hope flashed up within me like an explosion i i wanted to surprise you father and then you see i thought it would be wiser to find out first how well i was likely to do with the examinations my father looked at me unfortunately he possessed neither a sense of humour nor a sense of tragedy sufficient to meet such a situation for the first time in my life i beheld him at a disadvantage for i had somehow managed at length to force him out of position and he was puzzled i was quick to play my trump card i have been thinking it over carefully i told him and i have made up my mind that i want to go into the law the law he exclaimed sharply why yes sir i know that you were disappointed because i did not do sufficiently well at school to go to college and study for the bar i felt indeed a momentary pang but i remembered that i was fighting for my freedom you seemed satisfied where you were he said in a puzzled voice and your cousin robert gives a good account of you i've tried to do the work as well as i could sir i replied but i don't like the grocery business or any other business i have a feeling that i'm not made for it 
and you think now that you are made for the law he asked with the faint hint of a smile yes sir i believe i could succeed at it i'd like to try i replied modestly you've given up the idiotic notion of wishing to be an author i implied that he himself had convinced me of the futility of such a wish i listened to his next words as in a dream i must confess to you hugh that there are times when i fail to understand you i hope it is as you say that you have arrived at a settled conviction as to your future and that this is not another of those caprices to which you have been subject nor a desire to shirk honest work mr wood has made out a strong case for you and i have therefore determined to give you a trial if you pass the examinations with credit you may go to college but if at any time you fail to make good progress you come home and go into business again is that thoroughly understood i said it was and thanked him effusively i had escaped the prison doors had flown open but it is written that every happiness has its sting and my joy intense though it was had in it a core of remorse i went downstairs to my mother who was sitting in the hall by the open door father says i may go i said she got up and took me in her arms my dear i'm so glad although we shall miss you dreadfully hugh yes mother oh hugh i so want you to be a good man her cry was a little incoherent but fraught with a meaning that came home to me in spite of myself a while later i ran over to announce to the amazed tom peters that i was actually going to harvard with him he stood in the half-lighted hallway his hands in his pockets blinking at me hugh you're a wonder he cried how in jehoshaphat did you work it i lay long awake that night thinking over the momentous change so soon to come into my life wondering exultantly what nancy willett would say now i was not one at any rate to be despised or neglected end of section five